Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Winging It. I'm your host, Eric Sheps, along with my co-host, Rob Bogue. Rob, how are you? I am well. I am so happy today. I am so <laughs> happy we have surprises for people. It's end-of-the-year gifts. Rob has had too much holiday eggnog, me thinks. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're bringing this to you shortly after the Christmas holiday uh, in 2023. By the time you see this, it will be just after New Year's. So we hope everybody had a great holiday season. Rob, how was your holiday? It was good. It was good. You know, we uh, we had the kids here and and I got good gifts. You know, I got some weapons, a pizza good. cutter, uh, you know. <laughs> It's so it's like a dwarf axe or a pizza cutter. And I'm not sure which one I think Depends on the mood. Yeah. I think that, I think it's a pizza cutter because if you call it a pizza cutter, it's not a weapon. Oh. So you can ship it. And the advantage is you can cut a whole pizza in one swipe. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, how about so, for you? Yeah. Pretty quiet holiday here. It was good. A bit of family and uh, just a small touch of, of downtime. Uh, not a lot. Been working really hard. Uh, in fact, one thing we should mention right up at the top is the upcoming North American Cloud and Collaboration Summit happening April 9th through 11th here in uh, Irving, Texas at the Irving Convention Center. So I've been working hard on that, keeping all the postings going and social media and doing all the uh, content and whatnot. So that's been keeping And, and, and for those of the, those people who are unfamiliar, that's Dallas area, right? Greater it is Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex yeah. right in the center. Uh, some folks will probably be familiar with the Irving Convention Center. It looks like a giant spaceship that's landed in between Dallas and Fort Worth. Right. That was not in Men in Black. That was in New York. <laughs> this one's the one in Texas. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, looks like it could have been from that. But uh, yeah, great event. Uh, we've got our, our speaker and presentation list up uh, on the site. Working on the agenda. We've got some great content. A lot of great speakers. We have a big announcement coming next week uh, on one of our keynotes. Uh, so that'll be a nice surprise for everybody. Uh, there's still time uh, to get in on some of the discounts. We have a New Year special going on through the end of January. So you can get 20% off on registrations. Uh, we'll likely sell out by the end of February. So uh, get in early. And I should mention that, strange as it sounds, because of the eclipse that's coming up in April that's happening the day before the conference, um, travel is going to be a little weird. A lot of people come in for these things and we are right in the path of the totality. So, uh, yeah, get your reason. tickets, get your travel booked, uh, because it's going to fill up uh, pretty quick. As a matter of fact, Rob will be there, uh, as well, talking about one of the, the topics we'll talk about, uh, today and that we covered in a previous session, which was uh, readiness for AI in your organization. That is, that is correct. And, 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 Look at it this way. In the old times, they thought that if the sun had an eclipse, like a total eclipse like that, it was end times. AI readiness is not the end times. <laughs> AI may be. But <laughs> right, right. Skynet is real. <laughs> so. We're creating it every day. <laughs> so before we jump into our content, of course, we want to thank our sponsors. Uh, Aptogen, of course, we have a massive new release that we've been working on for a very long time. We haven't actually done any promotion for it yet of our cloud tools uh, offering, which is connectivity from anything into Salesforce, uh, specifically focused on automation tooling. Our connectors for Power Automate and Power Apps will be shipping in the first quarter, uh, already available on the Nintex uh, platform. And you can go to aptogen.com and learn more about uh, what cloud for tools can do for you. If you have Salesforce and you have any external uh, systems that you're trying to connect to it, uh, cloud tools is what you want. 
Absolutely. Uh, as well, uh, Rob, a little update on confident change management. Yeah, a uh, couple new models. You know, standard standard stuff, right? Like, there's if if you if you're doing change management, if that's that's what you want to do as a career, or you've been tapped on the shoulder and said you're now a change manager, everything you're going to need is is up on uh, confident change management, including uh, courses and books and and just all kinds of tools. Does that sort of happen sort of like the accidental SharePoint administrator back in the day? Just somebody suddenly becomes a change manager and they didn't expect it? Yeah, what happens? So so what happens is you're a project manager, typically, like you're you're some business analyst, project manager, whatever, in an IT group or someplace else. And they go, hey, go roll out a brand new email client or switches from Microsoft to Google or Google to Microsoft, whatever. Right. And they're like, oh, OK. Nobody ever really talks about that whole you have to get the humans to change their behavior part. And, uh, and, and so that's what happens. They get tapped on the shoulder for that. Um, and, uh, it's, it's, so that's, that's a lot of the people this, you just, you get roped into it one day. It is much like SharePoint back in the day. Yeah. You didn't uh, appear to be doing anything important. You should do SharePoint. You do this now. <laughs> yeah. So we thought in this show, continuing with the usual end of year trend, we'd kind of do a, a year in review. A lot of big things happened in 2023 around the Microsoft Cloud space, uh, specifically around the collaboration in 365 uh, area. Lots of announcements came out of and more surrounding Ignite. Uh, and of course, the, uh, the big, 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 super big, massive 800-pound uh, gorilla announcement was the Microsoft Copilot. Uh, and all things associated with that. So we thought we'd start off with a bit of a review of uh, this and uh, the impact it's had and how people are responding to it, what we know, what we don't know, um, et cetera. We have alluded to this a lot in the past. Of course, we did a previous episode where we talked a lot about preparing for AI in your organization was a big part of the topic. And I could tell you it's on everyone's mind because of the over 300 session submissions we had for NACS, I think half of them all had Copilot in the title. Right. If Copilot, uh, if they, they could be talking about something completely unrelated. Hey, under Boulder basket weaving, using yeah, Copilot. Yeah. Like, Copilot. Like, yeah. Exactly. Uh, so leading into this, you may have noticed for our sharp-eyed viewers out there, both of you, um, you may have noticed that our background has changed uh, for this month. Uh, and we are sharing a new image, which I will post up here, that actually has a lot of history. Speaking of AI uh, and generative uh, tools. So, Rob, why don't you tell the story about the unicorns and flying yeah, whales? So, so first, this is generated by designer. So designer.microsoft.com. And uh, I tried to recreate a scenario that uh, Eric and I experienced. And so, you know, back when dinosaurs still roamed the earth, we did some work with Microsoft Learning on one of the... Um, uh, one of the exams and there came a point where I didn't know how to react. There was someone presenting on something and it was so incredibly uh, disconnected from reality as we know it. If you've ever seen the show, a beautiful mind uh, that may have been appropriate for this. And so the, so the thing that I said when, when we finally opened up for feedback was, are there unicorns in your world? Because that's the only way I could make it make sense. It's right. Like he's just off in a different planet. 
And then Eric, you added. <laughs> well, and I added flying iridescent whales. Right. Because that's all that <laughs> popped into my head in that particular moment. <laughs> and so, so now this has been this running joke for us for, I don't know, well over a decade that, you know, are there unicorns in your world or flying iridescent whales? Uh, and so I just thought with all the crazy stuff you can make these image generators do, would it make a meeting? Uh, and I didn't quite get to what I wanted. I really wanted, uh, I really wanted a shepherd and a cowboy uh, talking to the uh, unicorns and whales, but at least they're having a meeting and, and, you know, hopefully doing something semi-productive. Some of them have laptops. Yeah, whatever it is that unicorns and iridescent whales do. Right, right. Some of them didn't come prepared to the meeting, though. I don't know if you noticed this, but there's like three laptops on the table. <laughs> <laughs> those, those two in the back need to, uh, probably a strong reprimand. But hey, the, the whales are flying and they are a beautiful iridescent color. They are, in fact, a beautiful iridescent color. I'm not quite sure why they're... Um, they're hanging from the ceiling because they're supposed to be flying. But I think this illustrates the point, though, of, you know, where we're at today. Um, there's some really cool stuff coming with generated by AI. But um, I probably did, I don't know, 20 iterations to get to that um, because it kept, you know, it draw a cowboy with four hands or something just ridiculous. Um, but it's, it's here, right? Now we're starting to get tools where we have generative AI. Uh, we can start to think about it, you know, as an evolution, right? So we used to get, used to getting stock photography is really hard. Now in, in Microsoft 365 and PowerPoint, you hit a button, you go to stock photography, you can search and find nothing. Well, okay, some things. Um, now, if you want an image of uh, a basket of apples and you can't find it, you're going to go to generative AI and go, get me a basket of apples. And it will come back with oranges <laughs> until you say, no, green apples or red apples or, you know, the kind that go on an apple tree. <laughs> In which case you'll get a tree growing out of a basket. <laughs> exactly. but, but but it's OK. Right. Like it's 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 we are, in fact, making uh, we are, in fact, making progress. And I think, you know, we talk a little bit on the AI episode, but co-pilot ability to leverage your corporate content, distinguishes it, separates it, makes it something totally unique that other people can't do, right? That plus the social network analysis, which was the stuff that was in Delve that was acquired, blah, blah. That stuff, um, I think, is a unique market proposition for, uh, for Microsoft and what they're doing. Well, it's, it's certainly an interesting position because we talked previously about the issues around security and, and all the mm -hmm. stuff that that's going to reveal and how people really aren't prepared for this Great. in their organization because Copilot can, uh, basically being a smart version of Delve, can expose all of that uh, information. And I think there's also, as you mentioned, a tremendous disconnect between what people kind of expect it to do and what it's actually going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not going to write your quarterly report um, for you. It, I, I'm sure it can. It would be awful and terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not going to do employee performance reviews, uh, although we probably all wish that, that would get off our plate permanently. Uh, and and it's not going to generate, uh, the first answer isn't always going to be the answer you want or need. Right? And it, it is an iterative process that by the time you get it to do what you actually wanted it to do, you probably could have just done it yourself. Right. 
Um, That's the stage that we're in. Of course, that will get better uh, and it will improve, especially as Copilot uniquely has access to all of your organizational knowledge or, or a large amount of your organizational knowledge, which, as you point out, really sets it apart from other tools um, on offer. If you go to, to ChatGPT, for example, it doesn't know anything. It has no context for right. what you're trying to ask it. Well, Copilot does. Right. Because it well, has that organizational uh, knowledge. And right. I think people are going to be surprised by how much it does, quote unquote, know. Right. Right. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's absolutely a different, it's a different game. And, and so, you know, to be fair to chat GPT, you can preload in it's uh preloaded query stuff and you can, you know, I'm an organizational consultant and I do blah, 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 blah. Um, what's interesting about that is I find it almost as annoying as it is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I'll go ask chat GPT a question. It'll go, do you mean in the context of an organizational development consultant? And I'm like, I asked you what, time the sun goes down (laughs) i think it happens the same time for everybody right like like if i'm in indianapolis and it's tuesday it yeah so so i think that context is really important um but it's more complex and rich than what you can do with some of the other tools yeah and of course the other platforms and other providers are working on their own i know google made an announcement on their next gen uh, AI and everyone who announced it is it's, you know, it's better than everybody else's and this is the right. next wave and blah, blah, blah. And I, so we're, we're in the one upmanship phase of the cycle now. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I will say that the feedback on AI uh, in general that I've seen is that Bard is better, but slower than okay. chat GPT. Okay. So, you know, it may get some better results in the future. Um, if you're willing to wait an extra two milliseconds for it. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, that leverages Google's strength in search, right? right? And, and manipulation of said search results right. uh, to produce the, the uh, results that it is, uh, to re- produce the output. Um, that more closely matches their mission, whereas yep. Microsoft is all about your internal uh, right yep. communication stuff. Google is about the wider web search. Yeah, we should also, by the way, mention that the first uh, the first wave of lawsuits has happened about the training data. Uh, the New York Times filed a lawsuit against OpenAI, naming Microsoft as an additional defendant um, uh, because they feel like their content was stolen to train the tool and that it will at times spit out that content directly or snippets that exactly match. Um, Which is an interesting position to take because you released it into the public sphere, right? And now you're complaining that someone used what you released into the public sphere. Yeah. Their argument is that the stuff that it's exposing is behind a paywall. Uh, Because one of the things that few people know is that, um, the sites like the New York Times and at all don't deliver to the search engine the same experience they deliver to you. What they deliver is a payment free so that it gets into the index at, that you'll go hit and then you come back and when you experience it, you get a paywall. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and there's some rules about that and all that stuff. but. But the point is, what they said is basically, well, you crawled and we gave you all the content 
because you were who you were, but you're not supposed to have all the content. Um, so it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting uh, ride through 24 to see who does what, where. Um, and the real problem from a Microsoft perspective or an open AI perspective is if you settle with the New York Times, hmm. who's next? The Washington right. Post and everybody. Right. Right. It's everybody. Um, and, and so that makes the cost structure for generative AI trained on the web very difficult to manage. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, indeed it does. It, it's going to be, and I think this is going to go on for quite a long time. Uh, yeah. Trying yeah. to unwind all this and, and yeah. you know, probably new legislation required and, and which will then be outdated by the time it's passed and et cetera, et cetera. So it'll be an interesting process to go through. I think there, there's also the consideration, the big consideration from um, the Microsoft side of, oh, yay, Copilot here. Oh, my God, it costs how much? Right. Right. Um, what? Very interesting decision that they made around a minimum seat count of whatever it is, 300 or uh, may have changed by the time this comes out, but um, imposing these minimum seat counts that pretty much lock out all small business users. From right. Taking advantage. Right. Of it. Yeah, and I think we, we talked about this on the AI on, on the AI session, right? Like it used to be that you sold uh, search just was packaged in, and we knew it was expensive, but it was just they just bundled it in um, because you have to do all that work. Well, in the AI perspective, they're saying no, it's going to be a per seat, but even if you have five seats, you still have to crawl all the content, you still have to do all the processing, you still have to do all of the work, and so it sort of makes sense that they've got to find some baseline um, to be able to justify all the processing because the processing isn't really on the query side. Some of it is, but a lot of it is on the corpus building side, mm -hmm. index building side. So yeah, it's a very interesting scenario. Yeah. We'll see how that plays out uh, going forward, but um, locking out the small business segment from using it, arguably the folks who probably need it more than, is an interesting approach to take. And, and I don't know how many small businesses or organizations under 300 people use M365, but I'm going to guess it's a whole lot. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a uh, ton. <laughs> uh, and so I'm, you know, whether that'll be adjusted, uh, they, they made some similar missteps, right? When power platform came out around pricing, they've had to adjust and fix that as they go forward. But um, there's, there's this race between out of the gate, be the first out of the gate, which Microsoft is obviously trying to get front runner advantage on all this stuff, no question, uh, and promoting it everywhere. And then, you know, making it so unaffordable that people can't right. use it, right? Right. Uh, so that, that'll be interesting to see how that uh, progresses. Ha have you heard any um, feedback from folks who are actually using Copilot in production as to what they're experiencing? Um, I, some news reports, nothing personal. Um, some of the news reports, um, and, it, and it, so this is, this is brilliance. So if you think about, um, prompt engineering and, and we talked about, it, it's not a thing for the future, right? But, but for the now prompt engineering is a thing. So what group of people are really good at asking questions when they don't get the answer they want? attorneys hmm. witness sits up on the stand and the witness is hostile right like i'm not telling you nothing 
and 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 that's the way I think of AI now and Copilot, right? Is no, I would like I would like you to draw a picture with unicorns and iridescent whales. Whales. What's a unicorn look like? No, okay. So this is what like and their attorneys are really good at it. So they're seeing some really interesting positive results uh, with uh, established law firms or established law departments inside of bigger organizations. Um, and that totally makes sense to me based on the fact that these are the people that don't need to be taught prompt engineering. They just need to pretend like they're arguing with the computer because that's pretty much what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh -huh. but, but I want to move on because we talked about AI. We got the whole episode on it. I want to talk about they're bringing sexy back. Are they? <laughs> they're bringing SharePoint back. The other boys don't know how to act, right? <laughs> I never thought I would quote Timberlake. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, but sound like for you. Well, but right, like so now, how many years have we gone with them out without even uttering the word SharePoint? It's true what you say. Right. And now it's premium. Dun, da, da, da. Yeah. SharePoint right. premium. And, I, and by the way, I love that you've parenthetically called it syntax. Like, hey, look, here's what it is. The syntax name didn't work. We are going to call it SharePoint plus plus. Premium. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Premium. Yeah. <laughs> plus plus. That's developers. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, so first, let's define what it is. So SharePoint premium is the syntax feature set rebranded um, as an add-on to SharePoint. There are parts of that that make sense. All your contents in SharePoint, Syntex was working inside of SharePoint anyway, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Although it can also work with OneDrive, so that makes that part a bit questionable. But um, this idea that the automatically the the AI of Syntex can go and and classify all your content, uh, you know, and you just press a button and, and make it work, I think has been a little bit oversold, maybe a lot oversold. There's there's work that needs to be done there. Um, in fact, we are purposely adding a number of sessions into the uh, agenda for NACS to talk about Syntex, SharePoint Premium. Uh, it was funny as soon as the announcement came, how uh, all the speakers <laughs> jumped in and edited their session titles to say SharePoint Premium. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of work there to be done. It, it doesn't right. happen automatically. You have to build um, models and train uh, the system on, on how to do what it does. It's a great product. And I would argue an absolute must have if you want to get anything decent out of Copilot. But this naming is very curious. Why do you think that suddenly, as you say, after at least five, six, seven years of Nobody say the word SharePoint. Suddenly, ta-da, right. we're back right. again. Right. Well, okay. So, um, geez, what year was that? 2014, so nine years ago or so. Um, I was doing a keynote for SP TechCon, and it was the psychology of SharePoint or something. And we were, and, and I was doing all the little different things. And at that time, SharePoint didn't even have an icon in the the hamburger menu, right? Like it was sites. It wasn't even SharePoint anymore. They had, they, they, the word shall be verboten. You will not say the word SharePoint. Um, and I, and I kind of maybe used a very long spear and said, that's stupid. 
Um, nobody knows what a site is. They know what SharePoint is. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, you know, you, you and I see these marketing waves, right? And after two or three, all the marketing people that were there are gone. And so they're like, Ooh, Hey, SharePoint's a good brand. It still gets good recognition. We should do something premium. Um, which is, which is good, right? Like, again, nobody could understand the word syntax, right? Nobody understands it. it and, and I know how they came up with it. And it, I like, I get the history. Um, but I think even now, whether it's called SharePoint premium or syntax, people don't understand that it's the intelligent document processing that we want to do. And I would say that it has the intelligence of a third grader. But a third grader is all you need at times. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's some processes that are very large and very automated where syntax makes just a ton of sense as a first cut, right? So imagine a, a, a process where you've got to triage and route stuff. Um, there's there's features in, in syntax that you totally can take that triage and routing piece and, and put things into kind of three buckets, right? There's the, I know this is low priority because it has all the characteristics of low priority. There's This is definitely high priority because it has all the characteristics of high priority. And there's a bunch of stuff in the middle that I know some about and some human's going to have to make the decisions, much like Copilot. It's not in the lead spot, but it's a helper that gets you, you know, e even if you cut the workload by 50% or 30%, that's still a big deal when you're paying 30 people to do that work. Mm -hmm. So I think it's some interesting things. I think the, the SharePoint, I do believe the SharePoint brand coming back is a, is a good thing because I think everybody's, anybody that's been around for NIT, they don't even have to be Microsoft space for the last couple of decades knows what it is. You can say that word and people are like, oh yeah, it's, it's how you store your content and and so now they can say it's premium, which is good. Now people could just buy it and have this use in the system. And well, which is obviously what they want. Um, right. I, I, I do. So there's some some pros and cons I see here. Some of the pros yep. are it's a standalone SKU, right? You know what you're getting with SharePoint yep. Premium. Uh, it's a specific set of features, uh, which yep. is good. I still don't think people are going to understand, you know, what it's for. Yeah. Um, uh, so there's, there's a lot that some sort of, I don't know what they could have done differently. Some better way to communicate what it actually does. As you say, syntax didn't get that idea across, although I no. personally like that name, but it didn't, it didn't get the message across. Um, uh, and will SharePoint premium, you know, I almost think they would have been better off if you're going to do copilot in, in SharePoint that you make it a requirement that it comes with the premium SKU, right? Mm -hmm. Because right. that's how you're really going to get your value out of it. The making it part of the SharePoint brand though mainstreams it, which means that we, you and I have argued for years about how much knowledge is just locked in the organizations mm -hmm. in these documents. Nobody knows how to get to it, what to do with it. They don't know how to classify it and, and tag it and all that sort of stuff. So uh, by making it a first level SharePoint citizen, it raises that up and says, this is how you can do automated document processing. In your organization and that's a good thing the more metadata we can apply the more we can classify those contents right the more we pay attention to that stuff the more we unlock all those things um and make it more uh valuable it even without the copilot 
Um, right. Having that in place has a tremendous amount of value. Um, and that's a good thing. Uh, to their credit, at least um, so far, they haven't done the bait and switch with SharePoint Premium, like we're going to talk about in a minute in Teams Premium, where, oh, you used to have these features in SharePoint, well, we're taking those away now, and they're going to be part of SharePoint Premium, so you have to buy these. Right. Right. So uh, I think that was a good approach. Whether this will raise you know, document knowledge management to the level that it needs to be remains to be seen, but it certainly, I think, is a step in the right direction. Yeah, and I think so. So, but let me let me put a little more kind of historical context into this. Um, some, probably not a lot, will remember that we were going to have a metadata-based file system, WinFS, and it blew up because it could never make it work right. Um, and so we're kind of inching along, millimetering along to get us to how do we manage dif information differently? We can do files and folders. And in truth, that's how people manage it. But how do we move to a more metadata and tagging world? And, and I think this is a step in that direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's certainly a good thing. Uh, or, or there is a... Uh, I think a minimum level of corpus size to really make this have value to you, right? Can anybody use it? Yes. Is it helpful in, in all situations? Probably. But I think to understand the problem, you have to have a minimum corpus size um, of documents that you're dealing with, right? That you have people knowledgeable enough to know there's a problem. Yeah. And I would, I would narrow that just a bit because you not only have to have a, a, a certain size of corpus, but you also have to have a narrow focus, right? If you process invoices all day and that's all you do, syntax or premium, right? If you do a billion different things and nothing looks like the other thing, it's like, it's like Sesame Street gone wild, right? None of these things is like the other. Syntax doesn't help you because you'll spend all of your time doing the training and, and not get enough value out of that effort uh, to justify it. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I have some customers with scenarios that are very, very specific. They have very um, high workload. I, so they have, you know, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 of these things per day coming in. It totally makes sense that, I can train syntax to do some portion of that, even though the even though it's not a standard form, it's not all that stuff, but still there's enough commonality to it that we can find ways to start to extract that data um, and, 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 and get something value out of it. Yeah, indeed. And I think that we need to be clear with people who are looking at this and trying to understand it, that there is work involved at the front end. You have to, Tell it what an invoice is. You, it comes with some pre-built models, yes, but you you really have to tell it this is what an invoice looks like. This is what a uh, uh, you know our product data sheets look like. This is what a uh, you know employee review looks like, right? All these different types of documents that you work with, and you have to show it what those are. That it can say, okay, here's the standard pieces that we expect, and this is the type of metadata, and this is where you should put it, and blah blah blah. So that. Um, training element requires not only time, but also requires knowledgeable resources who 
know how the metadata structuring works, know how to look at something and, and pick that apart and build that model. And I think a lot of organizations are going to find that they need help uh, in this right. area of, of preparing and putting all this together, uh, which I think ties back into the session that you'll be giving at NACS, yep. which is how do you get your organization ready? Yep. There are steps that you have to do to prepare. Right. Right. And it's not just the tech. Like the tech is is half or three quarters or one quarter or whatever. But then there's also the people. And do you have the skills and do the people have the knowledge? Um, we don't, as a general rule, teach information architecture anymore. And, you know, metadata and taxonomies and all that stuff. We don't teach it. And so as a result, the skills that you need to be able to do the work that you want done so that the AI can be effective is, is not always a skill set that people have. And in some cases, we, the collective, uh, we in the SharePoint community um, and the product team have, have made this somewhat difficult by flattening the architecture in M365 and making it hard for people to conceptualize what an information architecture should look like. Right. Everything's a site collection. What the heck is IA for? Right. right? Um, and you, you have to have enough experience and knowledge to abstract that and say, okay, IA goes beyond navigation menus, right? Right. It's all these other things as well. But to most people and still the folks that I talk to that, that idea of site, subsite, subsite is information architecture. And it's hard right. to break that mold. And, and yeah. so they get to M365 and they just throw it out the window and say, yeah, I'm not going to bother. Yeah. We, the very first thing, the very first thing that I teach when I teach information architecture in my course on plural sites still up there, right? Like people can go do that today. Um, the very first thing that I teach is navigation and taxonomy are not the same thing. The way that you navigate and the way that it's organized are not the same thing. They are often similar, but not required. Um, and, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a different thing. And, and if somebody catches me live, I will uh, run through the scenario of uh, shoe buying as the way to understand why metadata is more important and useful than hierarchy. I'm not sure I know that particular. Uh, You've not been in one of those sessions. All right. This is this is special. This is special. You all get this. Okay. So, um, I will. I'll do the first part, and then I'll ask you how you buy shoes. So I do this in a room. Typically, I make sure that there's 50 people in the room. Half of them are going to be women. We hope. Um, and I go to the ladies and I go, all right, tell me, how do you buy shoes, right? Just shout it out. And I invariably hear color. Mm -hmm. And I'll pick somebody and I go, okay, so so is it color? And they're like, well, no, not really. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, well, I buy my shoes based on an outfit. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's honesty. I appreciate that. So, so we walk through it. And the things that uh, women use to select their shoes are... Uh, color, style, heel height, um, and I think two or three more, right? Like occasion, right? Yeah, right. like there's, there's like, but, but, right? This is a multi-dimensional, like this is a big thing. All right, so Eric, when you go to buy shoes, what criteria do you use? Uh, size. Sure. Right. And right. Right uh black or brown <laughs> right so so the ladies say color right and then later i'm like all right for the guys there are only three colors right there's not this fuchsia and all this other garbage that the women are ooh. 
like it's like black, brown, white, right? That's it. Those are all of the colors of the rainbow for guys when it comes to shoes. The other thing is we only have like five different kinds of shoes, right? There are boots, dress shoes, and tennis shoes, running shoes, sneakers, whatever, right? Athletic, right? And sandals. Like that's it. Like no guy goes, you know, I when I was looking for boots, I had to have the ones with the five inch heels. No guy has ever said that. <laughs> I guess unless they're really, really short. <laughs> unless they're really, really short, right? Like, and I guess we know some short people that might might think that. But, but, but the the entire experience is wrong. And if I'm building uh, a, a, an information architecture and a taxonomy, I have to think about the fact that the way that women choose shoes is fundamentally different than the way that men choose shoes. Does that mean? that I can't build a navigation that supports both of those. No, actually have done it repeatedly, but, but we have to think about it differently. And this, this is a simple little example of a skill that we don't teach people. We don't teach them to think about how uh, people navigate and how they think and how the cognitions. Um, and that's a skill you need. It's a skill you need for AI. It's a skill you need for syntax. It's a, it, I think it's honestly is going to get a rebirth. We killed off all of the corporate librarians in the nineties. We didn't actually kill them off. We fired them. Um, and then, you know, we've not really had uh, keepers of making information access easy since then, because we all believed in Google. Yes. And, and uh, a super valid point when it comes to copilot, because if you ask Copilot, right, to give me all the documents about red shoes for dress occasions, and nobody created a column for shoe color or occasion or right. outfit or heel height, right, right. then the, the AI doesn't know. It doesn't have that context to answer your questions. So garbage in, garbage out, you're going to get crap. It, unless someone has gone in and organized the data to have those facets in there, you can't search for it. Copilot can't surface. Well, and I'm gonna so I'm gonna put an asterisk to that, and and because you're saying you can't, and that's not like you can. It's just your results are gonna suck, mm -hmm. right? You're gonna have to search full text for red, not facet for red, not you know color shoe color, right? And when we get to Copilot and we start talking about um, pinned and unpinned and which things does it know are things of this kind and which things are, is it inferring are things of this kind, right? You're going to get so much better results if you have those clear columns. Oh, if it's in here, I know that's the color of the object, the primary color of the object actually, right? Um, and, and that's valuable. That, that changes your results. Yeah, indeed it does. Indeed it does. And this is why I think the, this is a journey uh, and a relatively lengthy one where the, the tools are moving faster than people can adopt and actually make use of them uh, in that folks are going to realize we don't have the right permission set. We don't have the right metadata, right? This is why we need SharePoint Premium to help us sort this out. But oh, by the way, SharePoint Premium is only as good as the metadata you put on there to, to begin with, right? So now you're going to have to go back and reclassify those. And, and I think it's an iterative journey. The end result four or five years from now, I think, is a, a vastly improved uh, presentation of data in the organization for those that undertake to go through this journey. I think the folks that don't at least make an effort are, are going to not get much value out of these tools. 
Right. Well, and, and, and again, let me hit the way back machine. Right. Cause, and I, and by the way, I think I'm going to run out of juice in that thing. Cause I keep using it, but the, let's go back to 2005. So SharePoint 2003 been on market for about two years and all of a sudden SharePoint was white hot. Right. And if you take those organizations that started playing there, they got into SharePoint 2007, blah, blah, blah. And they made an investment and they continued to solve business problems with the tools. What's really interesting about those is those organizations are hyper productive because they started leveraging the tools. They figured out what they needed to do to make it right. And right for them meant structuring it in a way that the system could respond effectively. Right. And of course, we're talking about like stone tablet kinds of stuff compared to where we are today. But that's the kind of difference that you're talking about here. If we don't, if your organization isn't investing in, metadata and auto classification to get that metadata so it's not super expensive. If you're not doing that, you, you may find that you're locked out. Definitely. Well, let's, since we're on the whole SharePoint uh, topic, let's throw another SharePoint nugget in here that came out of left field, which is SharePoint Embedded uh, announced at Ignite, which is a way that developers can put SharePointy stuff into their applications. Mostly it seems centered around document management, but I found this to be an interesting announcement and I'm trying to think of, it almost seems like a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. Maybe I'm trying to think of the use cases where this becomes fundamentally important. What was your reaction to this announcement? Um, this is something they've been talking about quietly for a long time, right? Um, and they, um, you know, the transition to the cloud for Microsoft meant that they had to deal with a whole bunch of problems that they had never um, been exposed to before. And I think that you, you need to look at it from a, there is a set of problems around file storage and they exist, whether you're in a SharePoint site or you're in an ERP or you're in a, right. Um, I know lots of, organizations that make their money exporting attachments from SAP, um, and I forget the storage technology at the moment, um, and they move them into other cheaper storages, right? <clears throat> so if you think about, you have systems that don't want to hold on to documents because they don't, you know, they're just incompatible with their way of thinking. Well, now, You've got a platform for doing that, right? Do I necessarily think that they couldn't have just used a site? Not really. I think they could have. Like, I don't think that it would have been a big deal, but the idea that you suddenly have a way to take your structured data and attach unstructured data documents, um, I think there are use cases for it that are lucrative, um, but I don't think it's the general purpose use case. Yeah, I almost think of it as, as this is a problem that arose when they tried to do the Teams tab for SharePoint, right? And they realized, you know, oh my goodness, we have all this stuff that's, that's deeply tied into the UI that we need to extract, right? And get out of here to make this a usable. Um, you know, tab experience in app experience. Well, and, and, and Teams is a really good example of this, right? So we have three different kinds of channels. We have private, pub, we have 
um, public, private, and shared, right? And when Teams launched, the channel's infrastructure was done incorrectly. I'm going to say it directly. Um, they took the documents library and they put folders in it. And so each channel gets a folder in the documents library. It's, it's the wrong approach. You should have created a separate document library for each channel, but whatever. Um, then you do private. Well, private is actually sitting on top of a hidden SharePoint collection because they have to have, they have to, right? And shared is really the same thing. They just said, now you can add permissions in multiple places. Um, and so they, they've created an experience in Teams, which is inconsistent with the structure of SharePoint. And, and, and so they've had to build fixes for that. And now they're going to try and make that stuff available as API stuff instead of, you know, full-blown SharePoint. Uh, okay. Yeah, it, it's an interesting approach. And, and it'll be, of course, the, the greatest applicability of this is, is things that have nothing to do really with the Microsoft ecosystem. Right? I can see right. a play for this in Salesforce and, and confluence and other oracle probably other systems as well that uh, customers already have microsoft so let's figure this out um it, it'll be i'll be curious to see how that actually surfaces in in products that come uh, to market and yep. whether we we see any interesting use cases out of that the, so the inter so a couple of things that are interesting to me is if you do this and you have syntax and you have copilot and you have search and you have right um you suddenly get use cases where you can reach into these other places and start to plug in some of the other technologies that you have um and again i think it's interesting right see what see what happens see if people buy it see if people don't um but but again there are I know of many clients that are on SAP that don't want to pay for uh, Ohana, I think is the, uh, is the name of their storage stack, um, because it's just too darn expensive. And Microsoft's gotten really good at doing document management. Or at least basic document management. Yeah, basic document management. Yeah. As it were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's finish up with a discussion on another premium product, which is Teams Premium that was announced. And th this is where I think Microsoft is walking on, on a dangerous edge of, of bait and switch around taking features away and putting them into a premium uh, product. Uh, are there some interesting things in Teams Premium? Mm, yeah. Uh, value, I guess it depends on the organization as to how much value you get out of some of these various features, uh, features like having uh, customized backgrounds and uh, other pieces, but um, I suppose that remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean, I think the point you made earlier was the point around, you know, they're taking features away. Um, they, they have actually got a really long history of that, particularly in um, the Power Platform space. Um, I think... My perspective is Teams Premium is not for your average organization. It's for your organization that is using Teams as a 
external meeting platform. Um, I think, you know, if you're going to use Teams as an external uh, platform to, to be able to talk to the outside world, that um, that is going to, the, the Teams premium can make sense. I think for your most smaller organizations, it's not, it doesn't, doesn't really make sense. So this is the part of the show where Eric has gone away. Um, and I don't know why Eric went away. I imagine it is an internet connectivity issue. Um, but, uh, that leaves me as the only person in the show for a minute. So, um, you only get my voice, uh, at least until Eric gets back. We should make this a call-in show. You could call in. Eric's gone. Now that, tell us what you really think. I really think exactly what I say when I'm, when Eric is with me. Um, I do think, uh, so we were talking about Teams Premium, and, and like I say, that's my, my general take on it is that it is, um, that it's for those organizations that want something that is externally facing so they can put an image out to the customer when they're using Teams meetings. Um, if you're a smaller organization, medium-sized organization, I don't, you know, you're probably not going to use it. Um, I think, I, you know, I, if I take a step back of all the things that Eric and I have been talking about, um, it's a really exciting year. It's a really interesting, exciting, useful year where we've seen lots of advances. We've got lots of things going on. We don't know how they'll be received or accepted. We're building on a long, long history of, of powerful things that they've built into their stable of capabilities. And, and now what are they going to, you know, what can be done with it? Right. Copilot obviously is not uh, out there yet. What happens when we start to bring syntax into the bigger family? Like I think overall the big, uh, the, the, the big super big picture of what's going on at Microsoft in 2023 is there's a lot of really cool things happening that we get to see, you know, where they land in 2024. Welcome back, my friend. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Chrome took a dump on me, so I had to bail out and come back. Uh, it's all good. So I did tell them about uh, my perspective on Teams Premium being that it's for people that want to uh, use it for external meetings and promote a particular image. Other than that, not terribly useful. Yeah, well, and I think that's a good scenario and an important scenario. It has branding around the meetings uh, that you deliver, right? So organizations that are very brand conscious, right, are concerned about that and and properly so, uh, and being able to to do that. Um, the town halls and webcasts, I think, are a smaller audience segment, but nevertheless, uh, you know, Teams is morphing into a solid webcast platform, uh, which is good, and those features are uh, required. Uh, and in fairness, I don't think that the bump in the SKU cost for teams, you know, premium is is significant enough that organizations are going to balk. Well, and and you know, choose where you deploy it, right? So, right. Yeah. Um, but this this trend of, you know, when do we see Power Automate premium? We've already have you know premium licenses for connectors. They don't right. brand it that way in the product, but there's a premium license. 
what right. features are coming next to make that premium, right? When do we have this? It, everybody knows that Microsoft licensing is confusing to begin with. Now we have these product tiers of capabilities that I think multiply the confusion. I think that makes it very hard for organizations to understand. Well, at least they don't call it a P1 license because in the power platform, you have P1 for power apps and P1 for power automate, and they're not the same. And like, so I've, I have to give them props. At least they didn't make it more confusing yet. <laughs> We're calling everything a P1 license. Why? Because we can. Yeah. It, it, an interesting uh, approach. Um, I think that this is one of the things that organizations will just assume the extra cost and some will use the features and some won't and it'll just yeah. be the cost of, of using teams it's becoming that um necessary like outlook that everybody has to have it right and so they just just carry on a good position for microsoft no doubt um but where this whole everything becoming premium leads to um is going to be you know now how much azure stuff becomes premium um, and our, and then what comes beyond premium? Cause surely if you have pre basic and premium, surely you have a double premium, ex exceptional, outstanding, <laughs> double premium, double premium. <laughs> uh, so an interesting, uh, marketing direction they've taken in the product naming that we'll see where that goes, but it's obviously not a one-off for SharePoint since it's already hit teams. OneDrive premium coming next. Who knows? Yeah, I, yeah. So uh, with just a couple minutes left, looking ahead into the remainder of 2024, um, I think that AI will continue to be the hot topic. Microsoft will make sure everybody is talking about Copilot, whether they want to be talking about it or not. Right. Uh, that will continue to happen. Uh, hopefully the SharePoint premium conversation will um, start to grow some substantive conversations. Uh, with customers where they start thinking about the things they have to do to get prepared uh, and moving forward, that would be very beneficial. We've been waiting a long, long time for folks to have those type of conversations. So that would be great. Where do you say things going in 2024? Yeah, I don't, I mean, AI, yeah, yeah, check, right? Like that's going to happen. Like it'll be everybody's talk at least through 2024. Um, I, I, I don't know that I have any real feel beyond that. I think the, I, I do think that the SharePoint premium, the Syntex stuff is interesting, but I also think that it operates on a 5% of the market, right? Because you have to have, again, large volume, blah, blah, blah. And, and so I, I just, um, I, I think that that's gonna be, and also a, a, another runner, like they just also ran, right? Like, I don't think that's going to light up uh, even with the SharePoint brand, which I appreciate. And I think it's right. I just don't think you can drive that kind of the skew volume that they, they would want. Um, how about you? Well, obviously we're, because we're focused on the connector space, we see platform integration uh, becoming a big thing. Uh, the single cloud um, stack deployment is a thing of the past. Uh, almost all large organizations now are multi-cloud to some degree. Um, not Sometimes not by choice, just because everything is moved into its own cloud stack, right? So if you wanna right. have Microsoft and whatever else, you're gonna have multi-cloud. Uh, the integration between those has become more and more important, uh, we think, which is why we're playing heavily um, in that space. 
Uh, I still think we're just in the beginning of, of automation, especially as it relates to things like Copilot. You know, what we'd love to see going forward is the ability to describe a business process and have it build an automation uh, for that business process that's 80%. Even, heck, if we get to 50%, right, that would be a great uh, improvement. Uh, so uh, we hope that um, that will uh, that that will continue uh, and probably accelerate uh, going forward. So we see that as being a big play. Uh, and I think people are just going to be trying to get their heads around the AI stuff and yeah. and what they can and can't do and what it means to their organization and should they be investing in it? Should they not be right? I think that's going to be top of mind conversation uh, for a lot of folks. I don't know if they're ready to act yet in 2024, but I'm, no doubt that they'll be talking about it. Right. Right. Yep. I agree. So, right. Well, with that, uh, we are out of time. Uh, so we appreciate everyone joining us for this look back into 2023. Uh, we will continue in 2024 uh, to bring you the uh, top of mind thoughts that we have on a monthly or close to monthly uh, basis as best that we can do. We hope that everyone will join us in uh, Dallas Fort Worth in April. Uh, certainly, if you have watched these episodes and have questions for myself and Rob, we'll both be there. So please do uh, come and join us at the North American Cloud Collaboration Summit. Uh, we'd be happy to chat with you on these topics and anything else uh, that is of interest. Uh, I, I will, as I always say in my presentations, uh, that the, my answers get better the more beers that you bring me. So um, if you want to have really interesting conversations, that's the way to do it. <laughs> Uh, so with that, Rob, thank you very much for joining me on yet another episode, and we will see everybody next month.